everybody. How are we doing, guys? It's always a good week when you uh, beat a certain pastor over the age of 60 who's bald in golf, right? <laughs> it's always a good week when that happens. Uh, hey, we have our all-church tailgate coming up November 7th, a couple Sundays from now. So we're going to have this tent. We're going to do one service. We're going to come together. We're going to eat some hot dogs, burgers. We're going to watch the Vikings lose to, doesn't matter who they're playing, they're going to lose, okay? And most importantly, we're going to have a little uh, turkey bowl. So if you don't know what the turkey bowl is, it is a student ministry event where the students on their losing streak are trying to end this against the leaders and the parents. And to show you guys how fleet of foot this parent group is, we already have a play together. Blue 42, Omaha, Tahat. Look at those wheels. Woo! <laughs> uh, we were worried about his knee on that cut right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you are a student, if you are a parent, you're obviously in a you're in good company with uh, Brian Betts on the team. So uh, we would love, love for you to come and support. Obviously, root for the students. You know, they need, they need some cheering. So uh, we are continuing in Corinthians today. And it's a, it's a joy to be with you guys. Uh, if you guys don't know me, I'm Johnny Burns. I'm the student pastor around here. It is a, it is a joy to be with them. Um, I always try and contain my goofiness on the this side of, uh, of the walls here, because uh, uh, you know I'm very goofy up there. Uh, and, and so, you know, today we're, we're, we're going to be talking a lot about communion. Now, I don't know about you guys. You know, I don't have any kids yet. You know, my parents are in the crowd, so this is a, this is a hard question to ask. Uh, but have you guys ever seen your kid do something? You know, obviously, if they're sitting right next to you, don't raise your hand. Uh, but where your response is, what? What? Why in the world? <laughs> yeah, that was a little too quick of an answer. <laughs> Something happened yesterday. But, <laughs> right? And, I, and I'm sure my parents have plenty of examples where you just go, what? <laughs> you know, Paul, Paul's going to have uh, this experience with the Corinthians today where the way in which they're taking communion makes him go, what? How? You know, I, I, I grew up here. I, I absolutely adore this church. Uh, so much of my faith is, uh, is due to, to me being invested around here. You know, but I, I look back on my life, and I can tell you there is a lot. There's a lot of times where I took communion, and the second piece of this, this big deal, eh, maybe wasn't there as significantly as it could have been. You know, when you're in students and you have dodgeball right after that you get to play, you're just, let's go. <laughs> but I look back and I'm like, ugh, the amount of times that I've taken communion and I just did not think it was that big of a deal. Man, I'm thankful for the mercy and the love that Christ has shown me. Uh, but today we're, we're, we're going to jump in and we're, we're in 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34. So if you guys will read along with me. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. A little bit different than he uh, introduced the last text. <laughs> but when you come together, 
It is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Are you ready to take communion today? But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Now, as we pray for this service, I'm going to put up the big idea. And I want our prayer, I really want our hearts and our minds to really center in on this big idea today. Paul's inviting the Corinthians and us to remember that communion is a big deal because there's nothing bigger than what it represents. And so as we reflect on what it represents, our prayer today is, Lord, may that representation become a little bit more significant to us. So let's pray. God, I am so thankful for your patience and your mercy in my life. You know, Lord, to, to be at a church where, where we really take communion seriously and, and, we, and we take it in a way that is healthy, God, I'm so thankful. But God, may, may what your communion elements represent, may those things become more serious to us today. May we devote our heart and our mind to a deeper reflection, to a deeper gratitude of what you've done for us. Amen. All right, so, so this is not the first time that, that he's actually talking about communion. If you guys remember back in chapter 10, he, he's already kind of set up what the purpose of communion is. This is what he said in 16 and 17. He said, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And, and this is what he's saying. Oops, I'm going I'm to go backwards. You 
primarily participate with Christ. This communion, it's, it's intended for you to participate in what Christ has done for you. And more than that, this love that he's bestowed on you, this participation with one another, not only are we all in salvation with God, but we also get to express this love that Christ has for us with one another. And so this is his expectation of, of what a church looks like when they take communion, is you're all participating with Christ and you're participating with your brothers and sisters. But, but let, me, let me paint a little bit of this, this picture because they did not take communion like we take communion. They did not have their little juice cup with a cracker. It, what they did was they each brought their own feast. And so some, you know, if I was in that time, I would have brought my typical in and out order, two double singles, light spread, light ketchup. No, none of you guys know your order, <laughs> right? They're all bringing their own feast. They're, they're bringing wine. Some of them are, but, but there are others who, who have less, who, who aren't bringing anything, and, and, and Paul's really going to highlight some things that the way in which they're taking communion are revealing they do not understand how big of a deal it is. So let's walk through some of these things that, that he sees. The first one is the liabilities of being together are actually outweighing the benefits of being together. This is what he says. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. I don't know if you've ever had those friends in your life. Maybe, maybe your kids have those friends, but, but you know when they're together, it's usually not for the better. <laughs> I think back, I have a few friends where I'm like, ugh, it's usually trouble when we're together. Maybe the liabilities actually outweigh the benefits. And, and, and for them, they're taking communion and, and the liabilities of it are actually outweighing the benefits that are intended for this. The second is this, there, there are divisions being caused by the way they're taking communion. This is what he says. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So you have the rich who, who are probably there at the service earlier than everyone else, and they have the feast. And then you have the poor who, who probably day workers, and, and they're showing up probably a little bit later to the service. And what's happening in this church is the rich are just indulging on the feast that they've brought for themselves. And the poor people show up who already have nothing and they just see these people completely separating themselves, indulging and not sharing. And it's so obvious who the healthy ones are because of how unhealthy some of this church is. I can't imagine just indulging in a feast when your brother has... Nothing, but, but this is causing severe divisions. And you know, it, the word does not travel very fast in this day. Somebody couldn't just text Paul that, that first time that it happened was like, hey, you got, you got to get over here. Like, so the fact that he hears this from somebody means that this has been happening over and over and over again. A very, very unhealthy sign. Communion actually isn't even at your primary focus of why you're together. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. 
it really does not matter what you eat for communion. What matters? Why you eat it. So I don't care that you've brought a feast. If you do not understand why you're eating it, guess what? You're just eating dinner. (laughs) A big dinner, a nice dinner, and you're not sharing with your neighbors, but you're just eating dinner. The why behind the original intention of communion, it's not even evident. What's intended to push you back to the cross, you're, you're you're just indulging. And you'd rather get drunk and humiliate your neighbor. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry because they have nothing, and another gets drunk because they have everything. What? What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? He's like, what am I even supposed to say to this? Shall I commend you in this? No. I've had this image burned into my brain this week of your, your intention is to sit at the foot of the cross. That's Paul's goal. Just, just go sit like you are at the foot of the cross. And I can't get it out of my mind that these people are indulging themselves and getting drunk at the foot of the cross. Christ is being crucified, and these guys are like, hey, pass the mashed potatoes and the wine. (laughs) Such a clear manifestation that they do not get the significance of what's happening. (laughs) Now, Paul is uh, very loving, despite his obvious uh, being unpleased with the people. And and he's so gracious because where he takes them next is, is he takes them back to the original intention for communion. Because here's here's really this main idea of the morning is recognizing that there is no bigger deal than Jesus' death is a big deal. That day, that event was the center of history. (laughs) It was the center of our salvation and recognizing the significance is absolutely a big deal, and that's an understatement. This is, this is the section that, that Paul gives as an encouragement. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Right? He's saying, I, I got this. I'm just passing it along from Christ himself. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul is just pushing us back to this original intention. And there's just a couple things that that Paul is saying. If you really recognize how significant it is, this is what you're going to remember. First one is this. Please go back and remember the love that Christ had for us and being willing to die for us. 
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, this broken body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The love of God is, is so encompassing to our life. We're, we're walking through Romans in our, in our students. And, and, and we just walked through uh, when, when Paul says, while you were still dead, Christ died for you. I mean, j- just the physical brutality of what he took on the cross for us ought to cause us to stop and say, wow, you love me a lot. The God who shared in, for all of eternity, a perfect relationship with the Father was completely recognized as God, humbly came down to love us. And it really culminates in what happens on the cross where Paul reminds us, guys, remember that the wrath, the wrath that Christ took on your behalf is the foundation of your faith. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. From Genesis all the way to the point of Christ through the prophets. It was all pointing, the sacrificial system, all pointing to finally a blood ransom where God would be pleased. And on that cross, he took on the entire wrath, not just the nails. He took on the entire punishment. Look around. There's a lot of sin that deserved to be punished under this tent. And that's just here at RCC. But this is the culmination of his love. Is Guys, I love you so much that I'm willing to take on that which is not yours and take it on myself. And so Paul is saying, you guys aren't doing this, but you need to sit at the foot of the cross with a solemn gratitude. I I don't know how to get that image out of my head, but one thing I can assure you is I can't get that image in my head and have any sense of wanting to party. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the passion of the Christ. You know, for as long in my life as maybe I didn't take communion as seriously as I could, after watching that crucifixion scene, I weep every time I see it. And this is why Paul's response is, what? Because you're, inten- you're supposed to get there. You're supposed to get to the point where you say, I have no words, Christ, but thank you. Yet you're getting drunk? <laughs> what? This is so far from a healthy sign of you understanding the significance of Christ's death. Now, you you don't need to get to a point where you're weeping every time you think of Christ's death. 
But if it doesn't mean much to you, that's a serious problem. And he wants us to proclaim all of these truths until Christ returns. Here's what he says in the text. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And here's what he's saying. In your life, as you partake of these things, every time you take communion, proclaim the truth of the love of Christ that he had for you when he took on the wrath of God. Proclaim for yourself. You need to have this as a self-proclamation. And then you get to participate with your brothers and sisters. So just as the foundation of our faith is the death of Christ, my hope is the foundation of our relationships is the death of Christ. And not just here. We have people outside of these walls who need to participate in Christ. And my conviction is if they have people with a healthy understanding and a healthy experience of communion, of appreciating Christ's death, there will be more people who want to come and enjoy and participate with Christ. This third idea is not going to be new to Corinthians because he really spent just one chapter unpacking, hey, what is this important theology? And then he's just continually giving expression after expression that they don't really get Jesus. And the thing that he's doing in each chapter is he's saying, this is what's happening. Now please assess, evaluate your faith. And this is what he's encouraging us to do is assessing how big a deal communion is to us is a big deal. Why? Because of what it represents. Here's what he says. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. If there are unhealthy symptoms that show you do not get what Christ has done for you through his death, this is what he's saying might be a reality. And this is his fear, right? Some people thinking, oh yeah, I love Christ's death and they're just feasting or they're, they're not able to participate and they're judging one another. His fear is they actually don't get it. And he's saying this is what actually could be happening. Some of you might be partaking in communion in an unworthy manner, revealing the lack of passion for the death of Christ. Now, this word, it, it probably brings up a lot of emotions, uh, unworthy. Uh, th this does not mean, oh, Christ, I, I have so much sin in my life, I just feel unworthy that you would take it. That's not what he means. I mean, guys, we were dead. We did not deserve it. It's, it's almost the point of the gospel. But what he's saying is, you're actually participating in a way that's not even encouraging anybody to partake 
and what Christ has done for you. This is what makes it unworthy, is if you're partaking in a way that reveals you don't care about Christ's death, then don't take it. And some of you, the way in which you're living, the way in which you're taking communion, it's clearly being revealed that this is the case. And if this is the case, here's his biggest fear, is that we're going to be judged by God. Paul does not want any of the church in Corinth or any of us to be judged and condemned by God. But Paul, unmistakably, is warning his people. If communion, the very thing in which we're supposed to push you back to just say, thank you, Jesus, if you're not even getting there, this is a very clear symptom to me that you don't understand Christ and Christ's judgment is upon you. And if you do not assess and you do not change, condemnation is coming. Because God takes his son's death seriously. This is the point. If God takes something seriously, so should we and this is so heinous that Paul's only response is, what? <laughs> Things have to change. But here's his encouragement. Here's the flip side is, if we do judge ourselves, if we do assess ourselves in a healthy way, here's what he's saying is, here, here's what will happen. You'll actually partake. <laughs> You'll partake more joyfully because you're constantly assessing each time you think you take communion, each time you think about his death, you're sitting, you're pondering, you're trying to put yourself at the foot of the cross and say, God, teach me. Teach me really how much this means. And sometimes it takes a scene like the passion to get you there. Sometimes it takes a message to get you there. But this is the point is, go back and think for yourself because God takes his son's death seriously. So we need to consider and assess for ourselves, how seriously do I take it? Because my fear is not you getting drunk at church. <laughs> I don't think that's happening. <laughs> I don't see any of you taking 35 cracker cups and stuffing your face with them. This isn't the problem. Our potential problem is... Ugh. Oh, Christ's death again. I've heard that a hundred thousand times. All right, let's go get the cracker. Well, what I shared in, this level of indifference towards Christ. Yeah, we might not be partaking in an unworthy manner, but man, we really need to assess, are we taking it with an attitude of indifference? My conviction is if we do this in a healthy way. Here's Paul's goal, Christ's goal, and my goal, that, that we would actually be showered in mercy and not condemnation. That this feeling of unworthiness would shift to a complete feeling of, wow, God. There is nothing more beautiful 
of an expression of love than what you've designed through the cross. And the more that we healthily assess our faith, we can be convinced that God will not shower us in condemnation, but will continue to shower us with love and mercy. So here's what I want us to think about is what does healthy remembering look like? From here on out, what can we do that would encourage us each time we take communion, each time we think about his death, where we would remember in a healthy way? The first one is just foundational. We have to remember his incredible love for us. It's just, it's just too easy to go on with your day and not spend time thinking about this. It's just too easy to think about the X's and O's on your schedule. and You've heard this so many times. But Paul's saying, no, this is a big deal. Christ's death, it's a big deal to God. It ought to be a big deal to us. So please commit yourself to remembering how much he loves us. And not only that, but to remember what was accomplished through his death. You cannot approach the throne of grace boldly without that which was accomplished that day. It's a beautiful, joyous thing to approach God with zero shame. And we love that feeling, but sometimes we don't think about, man, how did that happen? How did we even get there? So as you're looking so joyously, look back with the solemn gratitude at what Christ has done for you and say, wow, let me just sit at the foot of the cross and just take this in a little bit more. Just to say thank you. I need that. Remember, his salvation is for everyone. This is something that they were missing. This is something that they didn't understand and often when we take communion, we take communion in such an individualistic reflection time. And that's, that's not bad because you, you need to have this deep participation with Christ. But remember, what you're celebrating is not just for you. This is something that should actually enhance our celebration of Christ's death, is now we get to say, wow, God, what you've done for me, you've actually done for my brother and sister. I want them to experience a deeper level of this, just as I am. And here's my final encouragement is, please, d devote yourself to praying. There is not a single person in here who truly understands the depth of what happened on the cross. There's not. And this is why Paul says, proclaim these things until Christ returns, because there is no one who has ever witnessed or read about or reflected who said, wow, I completely get Christ what you did for me on the cross. And so for me, the beauty of that message is each time that I devote myself to thinking from here on out, I actually can have a deeper more joyous understanding of your death. Pray for that. God would be delighted, absolutely delighted to answer that prayer. You know, for, for me, we, uh, we're going to take communion today. And, and, and as a part of this communion, we, we want to go 
back. We want to go back to Golgotha. I want you to the best of your abilities to go and to sit at the foot of the cross. It's the most helpful visual representation for me to get you to where Paul wants you to be. Where you have a solemn gratitude where what you say is, wow, God, thank you. So we're going to read. We're going to read a text and we're going to go back. Back to the cross. They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And there they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. They also divided his garments by casting lots to decide what each of them would take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. And the charge inscribed against him read, the king of the Jews. Along with Jesus, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by heaped abuse on him, shaking their heads and saying, aha, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and scribes mocked him among themselves, saying, he saved others, but he can't save himself. <laughs> Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see him believe. And even those who were crucified with him berated him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, Darkness came over all the land, and the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing nearby heard this, they said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, and he put it on a reed, and he held it up for Jesus to drink, saying, leave him alone. Let us see if Elijah comes to take him down. But Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion standing there in front of Jesus saw that he had breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. We have a benefit of understanding that in a way that others didn't 